Hello and welcome to This Film Should Be Played Loud, the podcast about me, Ross Burks, trying to make a feature film. And that feature film is Hollywood Boulevard. Um, I've kind of been thinking, why didn't I just name the podcast, like, The Making of Hollywood Boulevard Podcast, or something like that. Um, I think it's because uh, I'm trying to look beyond just this project, because if, God forbid, this fails or it leads anywhere, I'd, I'd probably still like to do a podcast of some sort, so without... By naming it something a bit more generic, I thought it doesn't doesn't just hamper me to this to this film. But currently, it is hampered to this film because that is the film I'm making, um, Hollywood Boulevard. It's been a good 20, 20 some days since the last update, and um, boy, has there been is there stuff to talk about. Today's date is I don't even know today's date. Look, that's bad. It's the eighteenth of November, twenty sixteen, and um, you know what that means people who have the schedule of our film, but people who are just listening and don't have our schedule, I will let you know what it means. It means we are exactly one week away from shooting the film. Our first shooting day is the 25th of November, and we're shooting scene 11, which means absolutely nothing to everyone out there, but, you know, it's a good, it's a good chunky, chunky scene, over 10 pages long, lots of cool stuff happening. So, um, so yeah, so we basically... Update one, we have a schedule, and that was sorted a few weeks back, and um, there's been some rejigging, but schedule's all set, and um, we are basically shooting Friday, Monday, Tuesday, and then Friday, Monday, Tuesday, and maybe like trying to get a few odd days in there that aren't dependent on the um, the cinema location, which where the film takes place. There are one or two scenes that take place elsewhere, which we haven't scheduled because we're just you know we're trying to make the most of our time at the Rex while we've got it. Um, so we're gonna try get more in. We've currently scheduled over 20 scenes to shoot in this six day block. So that's a good old good old chunk of film or you know, or hard drive gonna be shot. A lot of a lot of pages being knocked off. Which is gonna be fantastic. So um I suppose I should wind it back. I, I can't even remember where we were last time. I know we'd really started to get into pre production in the last episode. We had um been casting, I was do, doing rehearsals I'm trying to, I probably should have like made a note about exactly what was in every episode so I know not to have any overlap, but I'm pretty sure we've, I'm pretty sure some, I'm pretty sure I've got a handle on where we were last time. So, um, let's wind the cl- clocks back. So I think the, the, the first big thing that happened was um, we cast a character called Charlotte. Um, again, I, I'm sorry if this was like a point in the last episode, but... Um, We've cast an actress called Eleni Hayden, who is um, a very good friend of Monica Sega, who who's playing Max, who's the lead in our film. She recommended Eleni for us for the part of Charlotte, and Charlotte is um, she's a she's a character who only appears in one scene during the first half of the film, but she takes um, she's got a lot to do in the second half of the film. So poor Eleni, we we have cast her, um, but she doesn't have a right lot to prepare for or do in this block. But um, let me tell you, Eleni is an actress who is on it. Like she's one of those people. Who it's um, there's a lot of a lot of things that happen with this film where we we've kind of got people perfect for the parts quite easily and I don't know if that's just me like obviously I've, I've some parts I've written specifically for people but then um, someone like Eleni who comes along who the part of Charlotte I wrote intending to try and cast like outsource cast some like actress I actually wrote it with an actress in mind who does a lot of work for Channel Four and things like that um, that kind of wasn't going to happen, so I, my intention was, for anyone who just maybe tuning in on what, 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 what we're planning on doing with the film is we're shooting, pretty much doing one block of filming, 
where we're going to have these 20-some scenes. I'm going to cut all that together. Then we're going to try and raise some funding, our additional talent. So the people who maybe we wanted in for this block, but we, we have absolutely nothing to show them. We have no... Well, I specifically have no established credits or um, you know industry cred where they'll trust me you know, to, to, to mount a film. Um, we're hoping that this footage will dispel any of that so anyone we try and go to, if they like the script first and foremost, any doubts they may have about it being pulled off or what it looks like or the talent of people involved, they can, they'll can have something to look at so we can then go to these people and say, look, this is we've shot all this stuff. We don't need funding for an entire movie. We've literally shot like 40 or 50%. I don't know how much it's probably going to work out. It's going to be nearing halfway, half of the film going to be shot. Um, so the yeah, so the character of Charlotte was I thought we were somebody we'd have to we'd cast later on and then come back and just pick up her scene and then um, shoot all her stuff in the second block. But Monica recommended Eleanor, who is an actress. I think she's just got back into acting, so she doesn't have like a lot of. Um, she has like a, an old show reel, and I think she's just putting a new one together. But um, we met her and I, we did like an audition with her, and she absolutely nailed the reading. She's just she's one of those actors who you meet and you kind of feel like you've literally just met the character. Which was excellent, and um, so we would we've been doing rehearsals. Me, Guy, Terry, Monica, um, who are basically the core cast for at least for this block. We've been deep in rehearsals. Then Eleni showed up on one week and did her bit, and she just absolutely nailed it. And everyone's felt like let's let, let's up our game, and it kind of just it was just a really important missing piece that really helps. And it also helps that Monica and um, Eleni already have this relationship because Charlotte's character is like Max's best friend. Um. Because it's a film very much dominated by the load of blokes, like guys, like the workplace colleague Brian, played by Terry, is kind of the, the manager, the old the old dad character. So I thought, right, writing the script, thought it's important to have like another female character in there because Max is not the full, most feminine character. She's very, very neutral in terms of gender. She's not specific. She's not like a tomboy, but she's also not massively feminine. She's just she's just Max. So I thought it'd be good to have a bit of proper feminine energy energy in there. So that's that's really where Charlotte came from, and um, she has a lot to do because there's a period in the second half of the film where Max's character sort of disappears for a while, not like into thin air. Just for whatever happens in the story, she kind of gets taken out of the proceedings for a while, and then um, it's Felix, who played by Guy, and uh, Charlotte's character who really sort of come to the forefront for a little while. Um, so to have her and just being pretty much knocked out by her audition and all that kind of stuff it was just it's just great to know that even if we have no funding and we have to come back and do the second block the same when we're doing the first block which we can do um we've got that character locked down and it's going to be great to get her performance on camera um see so yeah, rehearsals have been going fantastic one of the, the my favorite memories so far of this whole pre-production journey is the first audition uh, first rehearsal we did where the most of the actors were off book which means they're not list they're not reading from the script anymore. Where we got them up off on their feet and we sort of blocked out the space and like we had them moving around and doing it and like that is just seeing seeing the dialogue come out naturally from them as opposed to being read off a page is um, is incredible and um, and the thing is when you when you read when you hear an actors read a lot of stuff um, there's there's a lot of dialogue where I felt like oh I don't really need this and maybe it's a bad thing that it was so good off book because it stopped me from cutting a lot of stuff out. Because I've done another, we've now done like a final shooting draft. Well, I've done a final shooting draft that I've 
from talking with the actors in the rehearsals, we've sort of got rid of information we think we don't need that we can either do with a look or we've just pared some lines down. But there's some chunks of stuff in there that I thought we were going to lose, but as soon as they got off book, and I was like, oh, wow, actually, no, that's the reason I put this in there, because it does actually sound good when it's um, performed as opposed to being read. So that was amazing, just just me and the actors going through the scenes and talking about characters and gets me through all the hell of production, uh, the pre-production, I mean. And I say hell, it's not that hellish, but there's just so much stuff to start out, loads of, like, faff. They should just call pre-production faff. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just the faff period. I mean, I suppose production is faffy as well, but the pre-production is just organisation, just faff. The definition of faff is pre-production. Um, just stuff to sort out, so it gets a bit of a headache, and it's... it's um, I mean, one of the things I've been dealing with from this film, and I suppose this goes out to anyone else who wants to make a feature film, and depending on what route they go down, you can definitely, there's definitely, you can make a feature film with like a crew of two people, which is cameraman and sound. You can, you can absolutely do that. If you've got like a really character-based story or um, very um, found locations, natural light, you can easily make a film like that. And I was fully prepared to do this film in that way as well. Like if I had to, I would have done it on the Canon 5D and just done it with natural light it wouldn't have been the most dynamic looking film but I, just to capture the script I, and I would have done it and that's usually the way I work doing short films that I keep saying but now it's it's this you know with people jumping on board and actually trying to get people on board it's like one of those things where um we've now well, we've got a DOP I've never worked with a DOP before and he is like on it in terms of equipment and technology and just professional practice and it's like shot lists and um, call sheets and all that kind of stuff which I've never really worked with before and it gets a bit like my initial reaction is to kind of um, withdraw from it and feel like a bit this is getting too professional like we don't want to lose the fun of we're making a film but then at the same time I just learned to embrace it and just go with it because best case scenario we make this film we have film careers from it, it not I don't mean instantly but it might be the first step of getting a film career or being known as you know feature filmmakers or something like that it might be another few years before it actually pays off but in the long run like one day i'm gonna have to learn to to work with this sort of um this sort of um situation where it is going to be very professional you're going to have people you know department heads i mean we don't have a lot of department heads but working with the dop and realizing he's going to have a crew with him and um, there's you need to shut out your schedules and figure out what scenes you're going to do and you have to write this all down and document it whereas i'm used to just having it in my head and not having to tell anybody and just feeling feeling comfortable that i don't really have to answer to anyone i don't have to look after anyone i don't have to i'm not responsible for anything um but you know i'm just responsible to myself and now it's like we're filming in this cinema where the the premise is a hundred years old and there's equipment in that's worth a lot of money and you have DOP coming in and saying, I'm going to put lights up and I'm thinking, don't fucking don't damage the cinema. And I'm, I'm, that's like stressing me out that like we're going to plug something in and the whole fuse is going to fucking blow. And it's just like all this kind of these, it's that kind of worry that's like stressing me out because um, this cinema is the film. The film came from this location and um, it's one, it's a big thing to ask someone to go in their place of work out of hours and tr and say, I remember having the first conversation saying, I'm not going to bring a lot of people in. Now it turns out like we are bringing quite a lot of people in, which is, um, I still don't know how I feel about it. I won't really know until the first day and I either see it pay off or be detrimental to the film, but I'm, you know, I'm completely open-minded. I'm not going into it defensive. It's just one of the, like I said, we're going to have to, going to have to get used to it. And um, I mean, I've worked with crews before. It's not the, the people I, I, I can communicate with a group of people. Um, as a director, I, I'm not worried about that. It's just more um, 
<laughs> I feel like we're literally bringing a lot of people into this cinema, this, this poor guy, and I don't want him thinking, what are you doing in my cinema? You're fucking up my business. And you've got to then worry about like his old, old Ben's lighting crew. If you have one clumsy person in the projector and they fucking fall and knock the film projector and damage it and it doesn't work, and then I get a phone call afterwards and they're saying, you've just filmed here, but now nothing fucking works. That is like almost keeping me up at night, just stressing me out. But you've just got to go with it and feel like, you know, hopefully all these people are, are, are good and uh, Ben's a master team who are very careful and not clumsy and they know what they're doing in terms of lights and electricity because I sure as hell don't. <laughs> um, and I guess this this kind of thing is, it's just things I never consider and I always try and come up with ideas where I don't need to worry about that because I'm... But then again... If you're ever going to grow as a filmmaker and up like this this project, all we, I said in the first podcast that I wanted this to be a step up for everybody, and uh, for better or worse, it's going to be a step up. So I'm just you know better just um, giggle and give in. I think Robert Altman used to say. So I'm just going to go with it, and it might be fantastic. Like we, I'm sh- there's definitely there's a reason you have film crews in existence. So I'm I'm hoping the the shoot will be will incredibly smooth and fun and um, organised as opposed to me worrying about all the, all the bits and bats as usual um, and I just hope it's not more stressful so that's all that stuff I mean that's where my head's been that's why I haven't been podcasting because it's just been a lot of organising stuff trying to get people involved and like weighing up pros and cons of um, makeup artist should I get a makeup artist if we get a makeup artist for this block, we've got to commit commit to having a makeup artist. If we don't get a makeup artist, we've got to commit to not having a makeup artist and trying to find a makeup artist who can work for the very, very little amount of money that we've got left to pay a makeup artist for six days and then hoping that the makeup artist is actually good at what they do and it's we're not it's not going to be something we have to sort out. Like, they're going to put makeup on, we shoot it and it looks fucking shit. Um, but we've, we've got a makeup artist, um, someone called Jenny Longworth. I hope I'm saying that right. Double check, am I, have I got that? So many people on my, uh, yeah, Jenny Longworth, who is um, also has her own production company called, I think they're called, oh god, here we go, I don't want to get this wrong, but she's someone else who um, got through Monica, Monica's kind of said, I, I, I trust Jenny, if you want a, um, if you want to make a party, this is, this is your uh, lady. Um, and I managed to speak to her and said, are you free these days, this is the only amount of money we've got. Um, if you like the project, come on board. If not, um, don't. <laughs> uh, so yes, yeah, so her name is yep yeah, Jenny Longworth, and she has a company with uh, I believe it's her partner who's called Joseph Stacey, and they have a little company called Dry Run Films. And I, I spoke to them briefly about seeing if they want to help produce the film. They didn't have time to to produce the film or take it on as a project of their own. But Jenny, luckily, she's um, she works as a makeup artist and seems to know her stuff. Like we're shooting in 4K, she seems confident she can make people up for 4K and all the scrutiny that comes with that. So that's good. I just it's, you know it's one of those things where I've never used makeup on it before, and I've never looked at my like the actors and thought, um, oh god, they 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 look rough. If anything, I like people looking natural and real and rough and all that kind of stuff, gritty and. Um, but then at the same time, I've not done a film with that's going to have a load of lights shining on people so it's just practically you need to soften them and skin tones and balance it all all this stuff that would never occur to me i mean either way it's just good good to figure it just to just to have the experience and if if i look at it and i don't like it i know that makeup's not for me and i'm happy without makeup but um, like i said one day i'm gonna to have to work with a makeup artist so it might as well be on this thing um i mean this film is really sort of turning into like a real 
almost like a film school. Like I have been making short films and stuff for a long time and studied like filmmaking. Well, I say filmmaking, did like production at college and did TV production at university. But this is like real crash course in feature filmmaking professionally as opposed to, like I always imagined, if people are familiar with the filmmaker Joe Swanberg, he's somebody who I've been really into lately for the past year or so, I've been getting into his work. He's a filmmaker who's very well known for being part of the mumblecore movement in America, which is a series of films that a lot of young filmmakers, like the Duplass brothers started this way, Andrew Bajalski started this way. If you don't know these names, just Google them, you'll soon find out. And basically they came out of um, just doing it. So they would literally make films with um, mini DV cams and they would just make things with their friends but they would focus on performance and acting and characters and um, really very naturalistic rough films and they actually had a bit of an art. They actually got distributed because they, they were the first of their type to really, where filmmakers looked at the technology and the availability and just went, you know, fuck it, we're going to make a film. So if you look at a lot of the early Mumblecore films, like um, Joe Swanberg's first film, Kissing on the Mouth, they're incredibly rough and like no lights, just everything is very, very grimy and real. And But there's a voice there, there's something there about this young guy who probably 23, 24 when he did it, just wanting to make a film and focusing on relationships and sex and people like that. Um, people like that, um, just, just people and things like that. And I fully expected like, and even if you look at those films and look at Joe Swanberg's career, he, in 2011, he made seven feature films in one year, and he would literally do it with, he would have like a DSLR, and he would have a sound, he would do the sound himself, but he would research how to do the sound professionally, and he would cast local actors he knew, and found locations, and just do things super quick, so he would, one month he'd shoot, literally feature films, I'm not saying short films, he would do feature films, yeah, they'd probably work out about 73 minutes, and... I mean, you look at them and they really kind of acquired taste. It depends where your taste light, depends where you, how you stand on like amateur filmmaking. Even though I don't think the, the, the films aren't necessarily amateur, but they're obviously low budget, but they really embrace their um, limitations. This is probably a conversation I should have done. I, more, this is probably something I'm tying back into the first episode, but to bring it back round, like Joe Swanberg was a filmmaker, I thought... I look at his work and all the stuff the Duplass brothers did, like um, the Puffy, Puffy Chair, that's the Duplass brothers, another famous um, mumblecore film where they just went out and shot stuff and like now I don't think I don't think you quite do that but it's still absolutely a valid way um, of making a movie now and I was thinking of ideas that I thought you could do in that aesthetic and just hoping that the script and my voice would be enough to get past any limitations um, in terms of budget or even actors you know because a lot of these films the, the actors are just normal people and they're trying their best but the, it's the writing and the voice and the, the passion and the ambition that comes through and makes it worthwhile and um, like I said, these films they're not amazing, amazing films, but some of they're all very interesting. And I know interesting is the go-to word for people who don't like a film. You go, hmm, well it's interesting. But if you want to get into filmmaking, really check out Joe Swanberg and um, he did a keynote speech at South by Southwest. I think this year that's really, really fascinating in terms of um, being a filmmaker with with so so limited resources and just not letting that hamper you and just going out and making films and finding an audience and you know using online all the new tools of distribution so basically i thought that would that's the kind of career i was expecting to have at least to begin with um and but this this has really turned into something like i have this thing where i'm like um i've got more crew and resources making this film than joe swanberg had for making a lot of the films he made and that kind of scares me because i feel like i'm not at that point yet but it also um, is just one of those things where I, I, I'm not letting it get to me. It's just like, well, yeah, it's fine, because I know the film at the back of my hand. I know how I want it to look. I'm not going to get there and be intimidated and be like, oh, shit, I don't know how to do it. It's still going to be our film. Still, you know, I've broken down the shots with Ben, who's the DP. 
So it's not like um, these people are coming in and taking over and telling me I can't do this, can't do that. I mean, they might do on the day, but we'll just have to have to sort that out and kick some ass. <laughs> so all that stuff swimming around in my head. Um, what else has been happening? Because we are, we are a week away from filming, and there's still some parts we haven't cast. There's like little parts, not for the first day of filming. Or the first day of filming, everything is sorted out, pretty much. We've got everything. Um, there's like loads of little loose ends, like bits and bats that you need sorting out. Like, I've written into the script. Obviously, we're using fictional films, so Ben's girlfriend, Ellie, is in charge of um, doing posters, so I still haven't seen the designs of these posters. So a week from now, there's going to be posters replacing the real film poster that Rex. And you would think, um, as a director, we would have uh, had this weeks in advance and approved all the art direction. But the nature of the the nature of the beast that is independent filmmaking and limited time and people having to get stuff done when they can get it done and finding people when they can find people. Is um, it doesn't really work like that, so it might probably be two days before when I see the um, the designs for these posters, and if they're wrong, they're, I, I can't imagine them being too wrong because I haven't I haven't got s such a specific idea in mind. Like I think one of the things to be conscious of with independent filmmaking is to know what things you don't need to be precious about and what things you do need to be precious about. So, prime example, the posters that are going to be in the cinema. I have a kind of an idea how I wanted them to look, but at the same time, as long as they look like film posters, there's not going to be enough emphasis on them that they need to be, like, perfect. They just need to be put in the background and be professional-looking enough where they look right. They they feel believable in the world of the film. So, as long as whoever the artist is and whoever Ellie gets to sort these posters out, as long as they hit that, and as long as I look at them and I go, yep, yeah, that looks like a film poster, fine. I'm happy with that. But there's also another thing that um, one of the big, big production design elements of the film, I spoke about this in the last one, is Max's trainers. The character of Max, played by Monica, who's the main character, she wears a pair of Converse that are customised. And they have, like, movie stars collaged all over them, the faces of movie stars, like, um, you've got Nancy Allen, like, not, not, not movie movie stars, like, it's not just De Niro, Pacino, they're very, like, niche, interesting actors who I'm a big fan of and who I think Max would like to have on her trainers so you have like nancy allen who is um brian de palmer's it was um she's in blowout she's in carrie um she's in dress to kill she's one of my favorite actresses ever so she's on there and um you've also got like jenna rollins and um sydney poitier so all these um interests because the film is about cinephiles and people who love movies and the character of max i knew i needed some sort of visual thing for her that was a bit interesting and um these shoes just i wrote them into the script and thought that's a really cool thing because I think those kind of details are what really make these films stand out. Like, if people look at the film and they remember the shoes, we've done something right. And um, the good news is, LA, who I think in the last podcast I was saying, I don't know how I'm going to get these shoes done. Um, I've now seen designs and rough drafts of these trainers, and they are 100% going to be a reality. And they look even better than I imagined in my head. And um, I'm absolutely thrilled with that. So that's one of those like key things that I am very precious about. Like I said in the last podcast, we're not shoot shooting unless we have the trainers, because there's such a big. It's on a mic that in a, you know they're a very micro thing. Like nobody really. Well, somebody does acknowledge the trainers, but they're not such a big thing where they affect the plot. They don't really affect the way the movie works. But they are just one of those details where um, it's like if you watch. Maybe it's not the best comparison point but if you watch um if you watch the master the paul thomas anderson film the way joaquin phoenix holds himself in that film as that character freddie quell is so such a big part of that movie 
And I guess there's this involves for underacting than like costumes and production design. But um, there's just little things, or even even something like to go for. Like, okay, yeah, this is the really obvious one. Like, could you imagine drive without the Ryan Gosling jacket? Like the the, the silver satin um, scorpion jacket. You could not imagine that film without those train uh, without that jacket, could you? So these trainers to me are like in the same ilk as that, where they are people are going to watch this film, and if if this film becomes anything, if someone shows these trainers, you're going to know they're from this film. So like. That's the kind of thing where I'm really putting the emphasis on, and I think for I think for a lot of people who want to make films, it's like you really need to pick up on those details. I mean, if you, just really think out all, think about your characters and think about because film is visual. So think about any any way you can put something interesting in visually that feels like a detail that's unique to the characters that says a lot without being um, distracting. So it's also like the character of Felix. He has like um, um, a plaster cast on his forearm for most of the film. And that's not explained, it's just the film happens to take place at a time when he's recovering from like an, an injury. And it's a detail that I think people will remember and you'll go, oh, that's an injury. It's just one of those little flourishes you put in. And also his plaster cast has loads of like signatures and graffiti and the idea is that Max, when, the, when they're not working, you know, that she's sat down and she's like forged loads of dead celebrities um, uh, signatures on there. So there's like these little Easter eggs that when people want to look, look closely, they're going to see it. Because I, I, I do think about the film in terms of details. I really, I'm very, very precious about stuff like that. Um, so, like, you know, because that's going to be... that these This cast and those shoes are going to be present throughout the entire film. Whereas the posters are much more of a background thing. But if people notice them, they've got to look... They don't want to look stupid. Um, so all that stuff's happening. So there's a lot of production um, design stuff happening. Um, what else is going on? I'm trying to, It's really difficult because I'm trying to think... I'm, these are very much just me thinking out loud... And I'm aware there's not much structure. I know they can seem very indulgent. Um, and I don't really have an audience who like engages. So nobody kind of asks me questions that I can answer. So I'm just trying to figure out where I am. And if I have any like nuggets of advice, I'm trying not to overlap. So I apologize if anyone's listening. This is the sixth episode. So I apologize if people get here and go, this is all shit you've talked about before. And it sounds like I'm just wanking over myself. Um, I assure you my pants are on and buckled up. I'm not wanking over myself. Um, so what else, is, what else has been going on? me think trying to get people man like i'm trying to trying to find some actors that was oh yeah there's a character of scott who i didn't have until a few days ago and we've literally scheduled in uh, we we originally scheduled three days that involved this character and i hadn't cast him and that's like a terrifying thing where you go we've got three days then if we don't have this actor they don't have this part cast we, we don't have anything to shoot so we're stuck and it it's also becomes a case of like yeah, I, I mean, because I wrote the character as black. And the reason I did that was because Monica is... she She's kind of got... She's of Indian descent. And I, the, the way her character works and some of her backstory, I didn't want people to... Th if I just had Monica in there as the lead actress and then everyone else was just white, I didn't want it to look like that was a conscious decision or that was anything to do with the wire cast because it isn't. I didn't, you know... I mean, I think you should have more people of colour in films anyway, especially British films, because we're such a diverse country, there's so much diversity everywhere. And I'm sick of seeing British films that are, you know, that really don't reflect that, especially that not kitchen, because kitchen sink films and social realist films really do that, but like more genre films where I think this film is close to being a genre film, even though it's not, it's not, it's definitely not social realist, it's definitely not um, grounded in realism by any means. Um, a lot of these kind of films just... It's just loads, just vanilla white sliced bread cast, and I really want to get some diversity in there, just so it felt like it took place in an actual community as opposed to just 
just a whitewashed white boy might make in a film. So the character's written as black, and I, like I didn't know any black actors, and we were really struggling to find a black actor. And, but we had new loads of white actors who could play the part, and it becomes that point then where I think, am I just being too precious about it? Do I just need to? Shall I just? Who, if we can't get a black actor, I can't get a black actor. I'm not just not going to shoot. And then, or if we can find a black actor and he's not a good actor, you're not just going to you're not just going to cast him for the colour of his skin because that's not about that either. Um, he's got to be able to do the part. And if if a white guy can do the part, who am I to say? Well, sorry, you're not, you know, you're not black. You can't do it. So I started to actually think like, well, maybe you know, I just need it. I just need a good actor. So I started to think, well, I need to just not be specific about the look of the character. It just needs to be a good actor, which. Um, which probably seemed like an obvious thing to say, but but I felt it felt a bit straight. It just felt wrong casting a white actor for this part. And there's it's not like the character is written as black. It's not like I'm trying to write a black character. It's just I just wanted a black actor in the film, and I thought this part would be a really good you know a good um, good part to do that. Um, so I, it's this week actually a few days ago I didn't have Scott. Like by Monday Tuesday this week I had I had no Scott. So that was three days where I didn't have the actor sorted out. Um. And I managed to, I looked around and I managed to, I found one actor I thought would be good, spoke to him. He, he one, he wasn't free on the dates and two, the part didn't really interest him because the character is called Scott and he's a student. And this, this character shows up right at the beginning of the film and um, Max meets him and he basically arrives wanting to write a story about the cinema and she shows him around all the different locations in the cinema and it's the first time the audience gets to see all the, the layout of the cinema. It's basically, he's just a contrivance to show the audience where everything is in the cinema, where one location is in regards to another and then also an idea of how the cinema works it's one of those sequences that's like an exposition dump and i was even to the point where during rehearsals i was like is this too expositiony is this because he's literally just max walking his character around saying this is the projector room this is how this works this is the cinema this is how many people we come this is how many people come to a screening and i was just thinking am i just this is just like tr trivia this is not really essential but then when we did the, um, this is a good example of when we did rehearsals in the off book, and when Monica was doing this dialogue off book, I realised this is really interesting. And I realised I like films that kind of inform you about things and you teach you about things. And I thought, part of the trick of this film is that it sort of tricks you into thinking you're going to be watching a film about a cinema, and it tricks you into thinking you're going to be watching a film about um, a day in the life of a cinema. And you're going, oh, we're going to see how a cinema works. And you do learn how a cinema works with this sequence. Max tells the audience and Scott exactly how a cinema works and how, how the projection works, how digital and film works in contrast to each other. Um, and this character really is the vessel for that. So for an actor to come in and do it, it's not the most exciting. If you want a really good actor, they're not going to look at this part and go, oh, yeah, brilliant. I'm, I'm, just the, I'm just the audience POV. And the actor I spoke to originally did say, I, I don't really like to play... Um, I don't know how, what he means by this, but he said he doesn't really like to play audience POV characters. So I don't know what that means. I don't really... But, you know, you've got to respect that. I, I'm not expecting anybody... I'm not going to sit there and say, what are you talking about? You need to do this film because I know what I'm talking about and you're wrong. Because <laughs> that's not true at all. This character could be just a, a shit character. Um, but anyway, so I spoke to this actor, and he recommended me somebody else. He said, well, I can't do it, but I know this great actor, and he's black, and he's um, he's called Stefan Gums. Um, and I rung Stefan straight away, like within 10 minutes of talking to this other actor, I was talking to Stefan, and basically pitched him the part. He seemed really interested. I looked at his showreel. He's a fantastic young actor. He's worked. He's been in Looking for Eric, which um, directed by Ken Loach. He's been in uh, Waterloo Road. A lot of people have been in Waterloo Road, but he's been in that. He was had like a quite. A, he was in it quite a lot. So he's had acting experience, and his showreel is really charismatic, um, energetic. Has a really good energy. 
and offered him the part, and he's free the days we could do. Um, so he, we cast Scott. We got Scott. And that was literally locked in maybe two days ago. And it had to do with a little bit of schedule mix, um, swap, swapping around, because instead of spreading, he couldn't do one of the days, and then I couldn't re I couldn't swap the days around because of Terry who's playing Brian's availability. So this is like the nightmare of scheduling, and like it really, like a, this is such a, a stripped back, simple production, and in terms of needs for the script, character, the amount of characters, it's really, really simple. And even this is like a bit of a, a jigsaw puzzle just to piece everything together. So I, I, like, I can only imagine how difficult it would be doing like a huge, massive blockbuster film and scheduling everybody. That must just be an absolute nightmare. But to be fair, that's all you hear. You always hear that scheduling is a nightmare. So I, I, I sympathise with that. Um, and I guess I've been producing as well for a lot of this. I don't. I mean, we've got Robin, who I keep saying is like she's almost like the um, the overlord of the production. She's the eye in the sky. Everyone I have a problem, I can email Robin and she'll email me back with a solution. But she's not necessarily a hands-on producer. I think she's hoping to maybe come on in the second block and be more hands-on. But I think she's edging her bets as well. She's trying to just see how it turns out, see what it looks like, see what the actors are like. So she's just letting me get on with it, which is good because I think it's good for me to to learn how how this works, how to put a film together. And um, being a producer, I mean, I have no interest in being a producer. I don't know how people... I guess it's people like problem solving. I mean, I like problem solving, just handling people and organisation, emailing people. Well, it's a headache, but anyone who's doing independent films or anything, you, everyone's you, you're definitely going to be your own producer at some point. And this is the most producing I've ever done. So that's fun, kind of. Um, so we've cast Scott. I haven't actually met him. I don't think we're going to have a chance to do a rehearsal, but the part is not is not very complicated in terms of... Um, what he needs to bring to it like with the, with the other parts there's so much backstory and just sort of relationship stuff I needed to establish with the actors so we've got their dynamic down whereas Scott himself he is like an outsider character who comes in as a student with a, with a camera and he's getting told stuff and he's being you know just cracking jokes so uh, we've cast him what else has been going on let me think got a makeup artist said about that I'm hoping to speak to her because she's got the script she's just reading through it and um, we're going to have a chat about requirements um oh yeah well, another thing another actress i cast i cast an actress called katherine hanker who was in a short film i saw called polterheist you can find it online i think they're trying to they're doing a crowdfunder at the time of recording this i think they're trying to get like 70 grand um and i think they've got about 600 pounds so far but um the an, an actor i worked with called Sadiq. um what's his last name now Sadiq akbar ali or sid Either way, I, I knew him and he did this short film called Poltergeist. And Catherine is in Poltergeist. And I thought her performance in Poltergeist was fantastic. So much so that I there was a part in this film um, of an old woman who is looking for a cat. And she's in, she shows up in, in the first half of the film as this sort of... Almost like... It's very much written as... A, the original script was this old woman's looking for a cat. And she seems a bit senile. And what she's saying kind of hints at something a bit sinister there's like it's one of those scenes where it's a kind of a metaphor which uh, is a very pretentious screenwriting trope but she comes in looking for a missing cat and she's talking about cat and then max is talking to her about the nature of cats running away to die and all this kind of stuff and um the scene was never really fully working in the script and then um in a subsequent draft i rethought the character and rethought the purpose and really kind of cracked it and part of that was seeing Catherine and thinking, wow, she's a really good actress and she's local. Wow, if I could use her in something. And this is another lesson that I, I say over and over again, like just be on the lookout for for actors because there's like there's a lot of shit out there, but there's, there's usually a lot of good actors doing shit. 
Not that I'm saying Poltergeist is shit, but I just mean um, with anything, just look for just look for actors. And when I'm when I say when I'm referring to people doing shit, like a lot of these actors have good scripts or interesting material might be hard for them to find so they are absolutely open to working on things or at least being approached and reading something so i always whenever i see short films done in my area or even a bit further afield i'm always logging actors who aren't well known because i'm i want to work with people who are really good because you're good actor you can't you can't really put a price on good acting if you've got a good actor they're going to really bring a lot to your film if you fuck up the so much you can only fuck up so much if you've got a good script and you've got good actors doing the script so I saw Catherine and it was one of those things where I was like, wow, she's fantastic. She'd be really good for this film. Is there anything I can um, have her for? Um, so this old woman who was going a bit senior looking for a missing cat was originally in her 60s and I rethought her to be like in her late 30s, early 40s and she's also now like a bit of an alcoholic and um, we've tied this character in with something else, like a flashback sequence in the script and she's actually like a really, really important character now. And I approached Catherine, and she seemed into it. I met her last week. We had a coffee at Lane's in Leeds, um, Lane's Coffee House. Had a great chat about the character. And this week we had a re- we did like the first, probably only rehearsal with her, where she came in and she rehearsed her scene with Monica just to see how she's going to do it. And she again knocked us all out. She was fantastic. And she is in her scene is being shot the first day of filming. It's quite her character is a bit of a powerhouse. She comes in and she's full of emotion and like a, like a bit of a brewing storm. Um, and even in, in the rehearsal, like we were all looking at each other, like like feeling very tense when she was doing the part, not just because of Catherine, because she's like the most welcoming person in it. But when she got into the part of, of Karen, the old woman is now called Karen, um, we were all just sort of like, wow, holy shit. And that, again, you have that feeling where we've, we've upped everything, you know, we're up the game. And the really interesting thing was um, because Terry... Monica Guy, we've been doing rehearsals now once a week for the past few weeks. Everyone becomes really protective of the material and the project and their characters. So as soon as we're trying to find other actors, they're very conscious of we're putting all this hard we're putting all, we're putting all this hard work in. Whoever's gonna come in, they best pick up the baton and keep the hard work going. Because if we if you have one loose loose screw, the whole thing's gonna come fucking falling down. So Terry says to me, you know, is this whoever you're getting for this part of Karen, they need to be good. Like we're 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 fucking bossing it. You need to be good. And when I met Catherine, she was saying, I like the script, I like the part, I like you, I think it's you seem on top of it. Um, but I need to ask about the other actors. Are they good? Because I've done a lot of stuff in the past, um, like student films, where uh, the, the, the film's been good, it's looked good, and I'm, but I've been ashamed to put it on my showreel because the other actors in it are not very good and it makes me look bad. Um, so she basically had the exact same concerns as Terry did, Um uh, and it was nice, I actually told her, I told Terry, and it was nice for them to bond over that. They were both very protective over, they felt good about themselves, but they were very aware of the other actors. So I said, everyone's got the same concerns. We're all trying to make a good film here, and I'm you know, I'm trying my best to make sure everybody who's working on this film is going to elevate it in some way, and it's not just, we're not just settling for um, the second best. Like, if we didn't have the part of Catherine, and she, if uh, the part of Karen and Catherine couldn't do it, I'd wait till we got someone, you know, a good actor to do it. Because I wouldn't just shoot for the sake of shooting. I, I think it's not worth it. Because if it's not right, you're going to have to come back anyway. So what's the point? Um, so, I, you know, casting is a big, big thing for independent film. And you don't nece- necessarily need to go, you know, you don't need to look very far for good actors. You've just got to keep looking and keep your, keep your kind of, um, keep your ears to the ground and keep your eyes open. Because people might make stuff and you might not like the film, but you'll see it potentially in an actor and go, oh, I like them and they've got a really good look. I can see something in them. So that's how we got. Um, that's how we got Catherine is Karen, and um, so now we've got. So we, like the cast has grown a little bit. 
which is good. Um, what else has been happening? What's been happening? Who am I even asking? I don't know who I'm talking to. Um, we've got sound. One of the things we've actually, like I decided to pay for good sound. So we've got two sound guys. One is a guy called Daniel Guest, who's been our sound guy on the first day of filming. Then for the rest of the shoot, we've got um, Rob Wingfield slash Bob Rob, who I've, I found through Ben and every, everyone I speak to seems to have worked with Bob Rob and they all seem to love the guy. So, um, and I spoke to him on the phone and he seems like a, like a brilliant guy. Um, so he seems like the exact kind of person you'd want with headphones on and a boom mic on set. He seems like a bit of a, a mad wizard, which is excellent. That's who we want on this film, mad wizards. So we've got all the sound, basically all the all the stuff that needs to be ticked top. I'm feeling really good about. Like we've got a great camera. I've got a guy who's DOP who seems to be know damn well how to use it and how to light. We've got sound people who know what the fuck they're doing with sound. We've got actors who know what they're doing with their parts. Um, and I've just got to make sure that, that I'm on it. So, I mean, I spoke in the last one about sometimes you can struggle with self-doubt. And I said I kind of got over that and expected it to come back. But it hasn't really come back. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where I just keep coming back to. This film, for me, is as much a proving ground to myself as a filmmaker. Like... I can write a script, I can visualise this film how I would do it in my head, but until I've done that film and looked at it and seen what it looks like, I could be completely, this could be just a bad film, we could make this film it's shit, and I, but then I'll, at least I'll know what I need to work on. So one of the things I'm really committing to is just being quite disciplined with my choices. So I know exactly how I want to shoot this, because I'm editing the film as well, I know how I want to cut it. So in terms of my shot choices and the coverage we're getting on the day, I'm really sticking to my guns in how I think it should be shot. One, I want to see if my instincts are right in that regard, which is risky because what? let's say we, I say we're going to shoot this scene, I only need three angles in the edit, we're just going to shoot those three angles and we're fine. We could do that and everyone pits it and we've, still, we've got, we were ahead of schedule like an hour or two hours. I mean, I doubt it's going to be that extensive in terms of being in the schedule. But you know, let's just say that happened. Like, what do I do then? If the crew think, they say, oh, do you think we should get more shots? Do you th I think we should maybe, um, I think it was just for safety. This is the thing you always hear, for safety. And especially with low-budget productions, people who maybe aren't established. Like, if I was um, if I was David Cronenberg, and I was like, we're going to do three angles and do it, you would not doubt that. You'd go, it's David Cronenberg, he knows what the fuck he's doing. Or if you were Steven Soderbergh and you came, well, he's a DLP as well. So he came in and said, we're just going to shoot this one take, going to get one pick up, going to do a reverse and that's it. Then we're done. You're not going to go, Steven, um, I think we could, can we not just get a few more shots? I, th I don't think we've got it. Um, I'm not Steven Soderbergh. I'm not David Cronenberg. I'm Ross Burks, which means absolutely nothing. So, but I'm, I still want, like, I do have that, I in my, the way I've done short films, I've sort of shot stuff how exactly how I think I've done it. And I've, I've realised in the edit, I, I was right, like I didn't need any of the shots, but this is such a bigger beast, it's a feature film. There's so many moving parts, like one scene relying on the scene that came after it, that came before it. I could have an idea for one scene, and it could work as a scene, but as soon as you could put it up to the scene that's shot after it, and the one before it, I realise, oh shit, that cut from that scene to this scene doesn't quite work, I wish I could that. So I'm really trying to think really hard about, because basically what I'm trying to say is, I just don't want to be shooting for the sake of it, I really want to 
prove to myself like do I know how to put a film together do I know how to do I know like what I visualize in my head is that is that right and is it distinct and I think a lot of the great films and great filmmakers the reason they feel great is because there's a discipline within the shot choices and there's a discipline with how it's the point of view they've really committed to um their choices like if you want like I really I don't like films I'm always less drawn to films that have a very handheld improv style and I know I mentioned Joe Swanberg but that, that works for him because he, he improvs his scripts he has an outline improvs and it works for him and he has enough going on where that works for him but a lot of films that just have this generic coverage thing or they have handheld shots or like I always feel like there's I, I never really get a sense of the filmmaker or the director behind it and I don't want to be one of those directors I really want to make a film that feels directed and feels like there's a specific point of view and the audience are being shown like how I see things and um and this like this is my first feature film, which I'm you know completely committed to finishing. And at the end of it, I want to have a film that I can say, yeah, that that's that's the film I wanted to make. And um, it's going to be a bit, it's going to be tricky just sticking to your guns and having that confidence to be like, this is how I want to do it. This is I'm pretty sure this you know I know best because you don't want to come off like a dick. You don't want to be saying to everyone, if everyone's coming to you and saying I think we should get this, I think, I mean I'm I'm completely open to it. But I just don't want to be wasting time where I, I don't think we need it. Because like if I, if my heart's not in if we're doing a shot just for safety, I'm not going to have the enthusiasm or the passion in directing it. Do you know what I mean? And that I think it's going to just, it, sh it shows. So that in terms of shooting and being a director, that's all the stuff I'm thinking about, is just making sure I'm really on top of like the film as a whole and how once, you know, because I, I don't, the big worry about the doing a feature film or any project, especially something of this scale with so many moving parts, is we're shooting half of it, then we're shutting down, then we want to come back and do the rest. Now, the big horror story that so many independent filmmakers face is we're going to shoot a lot of footage, we're going to stop, then I'm going to be sat with unedited footage and rough ideas of scenes for months and months and months and just and never get round to coming back and finishing it. Like, I really don't want this film to slow down. I really... I'm. I want to edit it the same way that I would do the short films, where I would shoot a sh shoot in the day, come home, edit, and it'd be done. With it being a feature, I've got there's no like I'm not saying I'm going to shoot and then within a week after fin finishing shooting these six days, it's going to be this is all going to be edited. <laughs> I'm not expecting that, but it's not going to be four months of me playing around with scenes, which is why I really want to be disciplined with the shot choices and figure out the shout in advance, so I know exactly how I want to cut it. I know the purpose of all the cuts. I know why I'm cutting when I'm cutting. I know why I'm moving the camera when I'm moving the camera. All this stuff is pre-thought out. So when I get to the edit, I don't have to make those choices then. It's already figured out. And to kind of try and trust my instincts in that and to see if my instincts are right. If they're wrong, I mean, fuck it. The worst that's going to happen is I fuck up and we didn't get a shot. I have to come back and get it. It's not going to be the end of the world. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is I fucked up an entire scene and the way I've shot it's just wrong. But that happens a lot. There's reshoots all the time. So, you know, I just want to, I want it to, I want it to be quick. I don't want to have so much footage that I don't know what to do with it. Well, like shots where I'm like, I'm using stuff for the sake of it. Because I've done that before. I've overshot and just have a load of footage that I've not even touched. Where I've just, I've always, I've kind of always used the angles that I committed to. Maybe that will be something when I get there on set and I look and go, oh, wow, this is actually better than my, what I planned grabbing that I'm all for like that and getting there on the day and going with the day but just getting stuff for the sake of it I'm really trying to trying to figure out how I want the film to look and how I want it to cut so when I'm editing I'm not going to be there for fucking months and months just just figuring all that out I really want the film to be in to this time next year I want the film to be playing places which might seem very very ambitious but I really want to move at that speed like look at Joe Swanberg he made seven feature films in a year and I'm like well fuck it if that guy did that I'm going to do that 
And I'm not even against the fact that I'm going to finish this film and then I, I might even do a, a DSLR feature just to fucking free myself up, just to have that experience of doing it on my own and seeing what that looks like. Um, I've been, I'm writing a bunch of stuff now where I've been t- talking to Guy and been saying, look, I've been writing this other thing. I think when we shut down, maybe, um, or we, before we do the next block, I'm going to do a few little shorts when we've got time. Yeah, cool. Um, and but might be people there. The also the worry is you don't want to get bored of the film. You don't want to be distracted. And I'm sure if I said to people, oh, I'm working on this other thing, they'd go, well, what, you haven't finished the first one yet. What are you doing? But it's not. I'm really, I just want to, I'm, I feel really productive. I feel really creative. I'm feeling like I'm on it. Like when I'm, when I'm rehearsing the actors, when I'm, going through it, I feel like this is what I'm meant to do and it's so exciting and um, I guess that's one thing to say as well like I'm really really excited we're a week away from filming like my my first feature film whatever it's going to look like whatever its outcome is regardless like I'm going to be on set in charge of a crew and like the actors are going to be there dressed how I want them to dress they're going to be saying the lines that I've written um everyone's going to be listening to me it's, it's, which is going to be a bit whoa what do I make sure everyone <laughs> be in, put my hat on for the day and I'm in charge um but it's so exciting, like, how many times are you going to get this opportunity? Um, it's what I've always wanted to do, it's the only thing I feel like I can do, and I, I can feel it in myself when I'm there rehearsing with the actors and we're talking about it, or when I'm telling the actors this out of the shot, so when I'm speaking to Benson, I want to do this shot and this shot, I'm like, this is what I want to do, this is the thing, this is the only thing I'm so, I'm, I feel like I can do this, and um, it's time to show the world that I can do it, and this, this film really is that for me, and I hope for everyone involved in the film, it's that for them as well, you know, for Ben being a DP, I'm sure... Because um, I'm not a DP, I don't think in terms of light, I think in terms of composition, in terms of cutting, in terms of um, camera movement, I don't think in terms of um, dynamic lighting or shade or um, contrast of lights at all. So when I go on set, I mean, Ben came to the location, he was telling me like his lighting plans and things like that, and I'm kind of going, okay, and he's saying how hard it's going to be to get this and get these lights up there and do this, and I'm like, okay, but... Um, but I'm happy with the way it looks now. Do you know? That's where I'm coming from. But I'm also not going to... I'm not... In, I'm not... I trust him enough. I don't know enough about lights and lighting. I'm just don't have that in my mind where I'm going to doubt him and tell him he can't do that. Like, this is his film as a DOP, so I want him to make something to be proud of. So I'm absolutely going to give him the chance if he wants to light the hell out of it and make it look really good. As long as when he shows me the finished product, I go, holy shit, that looks fucking amazing. We're all good, man. I'm not bothered at all. And same for the actors. You know, the actors are going to make decisions... As long as they fit with the film and they feel good about it, I want everyone to have this film under their belt and they go, wow, that was a really good experience and it's a really good film. And I want to make a film that stands out, that really feels like it's coming from somewhere different. I haven't, I don't, I watch a shitload of films. I really do watch films. Um, I do watch a lot, like endless amount of films, all kinds of films from all over the world. And I, I kind of, pride myself in a way of like knowing what's out there at least and knowing like this film the reason I'm making this film because there's no one else really coming at something from this I'm not saying I'm like a fucking visionary but I feel like I I feel like I've got the film is coming from such a personal place and has a very specific point of view that I feel like it's worth making it basically like the film is unconventional enough and I feel good about what I'm doing and the ideas in it and the approach that I think, I, d- I believe that it could, ha- it has the potential to stand out a bit. Even like the festival circuit, we send it around to festivals, I'm hoping people who, whose job it is to sit and watch for endless films all the time from amateur filmmakers around the world, they'll hit the play button on the file that says Hollywood Boulevard or the link that says Hollywood Boulevard, they'll start watching it, they'll make it to the end and go, okay, this feels like something we should um, encourage. I'm not expecting them 
I'm, I mean, I'm trying my best to make a film that they're all going to watch and go, this was the best film I've ever seen. This is the best debut film to come out of England ever. This is the, you know, this, this is amazing. I'm fully trying to make something that good, but I'm not expecting that reaction. I just want to get a reaction at, you know, that's what I want. I just want a reaction. I want someone to watch this film and go, okay, this is, this has got enough in it, enough potential that we should showcase it. And I want it to have that impact on enough people that the film does get exposure. Um, so I'm trying really hard to make a film that stands out and is memorable and interesting and different. Um, and I mean, it's not going to be the most conventional film. I can tell you that the film, it is not something that prides itself on tying up loose ends. It's not something that has a three act structure. It's not something that has, um, every little I dotted and every T crossed. It's not that kind of film. It's much more about character and identity and ambiguity and it really I've got sort of worked hard to play on expectations of the audience and like not give them a safety net and to really let them work hard and I know in a mainstream capacity this film will not connect it's not going to be it's not going to be the Martian by any means but it might be like um I don't even like I don't want to even compare it to something that's without sounding like I'm trying to compare it to like a really good film but I just want it to have like to appeal to enough people who like being challenged as an audience and like um, having like being intellectually stimulated, where I'm not worried about people walking out of the film and going, "I didn't quite get why did this character do that? Where did what was that about?" Like I'm fully prepared. That's going to be the initial response of people who read the script have that response, but I expect it. But we are working hard. Well, I'm, we're all working hard to really make a film that if you go back and watch it the second time and you look hard enough, all those all the answers to the questions are there. And you'll even realise that some are not even... It's not even about the questions. It's not. I mean, it's not even about the answers. You know, it's just one of the... It sounds like I'm describing Lost. You know, I remember people got pissed off at Lost. You know, I, I love the way Lost ended, but so many people like, they're all fucking dead. I'm like, no, they're not dead. <laughs> um, so I want to make a film like that that does... It's, I'm not... It isn't going to be a crowd pleaser. Um, and I think there is a very easy version of this film that could be that, where we could just do clerks in a cinema that could be fun and irreverent and, you know, um, silly and dialogue and But I, it's not the kind of film I want to make, and I think I think there's a million people around the world who could make that film and who would, you know, see... I think there's enough people out there who would look at a cinema and go, OK, you've got access to make a film. I think eight or nine times out of ten, those are the people who look that would just do clerks in a cinema or something like that or a horror film in a cinema where I'm trying to do something a bit different and kind of let the film be what it wants to be and do some risks with it um, which is really exciting but it's also risky I mean there's no point making a film if you're just going to play it safe I mean we're not, we're not really playing it safe with this I hope we are in terms of no one's going to fucking die when we're filming it the place is not going to burn down please please god don't let anything happen on set please god don't let anything happen on set that's been praying to my um my, uh, what's the word? When you're not believing in. I'm not a religious person, so that's me praying to whoever's up there, like, whatever the gods of movies are. I'm just praying to them. Please let this be fine. So, yeah, we're a week away. That's where I am. Everything's sort of going s smoothly so far. There's a few bits and bobs I need to sort out. Some little props I need to get hold of. Some costumes I need to sort out. But the train is, uh, about to leave the station. It's on the tracks and everything's on it near enough. I'm about to about to go um, about to go on a journey. 
So, I mean, I don't know when the next podcast is going to be. I'm hoping, I'm going to try and get another one out before we start shooting, just to maybe talk to some other people involved in the film and get where, where they are in pre-prod, or faff, as I call it. See where we're at. Um, but until then, it's just, you know, good nights. Try not don't get stressed. Chill out. Have a really good shoot. Get all the shots we want. Make sure everything's tipped up. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited. I feel tired today, though. I think I, I don't want to feel tired. I think it's just one of those days where everything's caught with me. But I'm feeling good, feeling excellent, feeling pumped. Let's make a great movie. And I hope I will. I hope you'll hear my voice before cameras roll. But if not, you will hear it afterwards. Isn't that exciting? That the next time you'll hear me talk potentially will be after we start shooting. So I hope the next, even if it is after we've started shooting, I hope I'm as enthusiastic and optimistic as I am now. As opposed to being like, it's all gone wrong. <laughs> I made a huge mistake. It's off. I fucked it. I'm going to work at McDonald's. But we'll see. So yeah, I've been Ross Burks. This has been This Film Should Be Played Loud, episode 6, about the making of Hollywood Boulevard. I hope this has been a helpful episode. I know it's um, very, very unstructured, very all over the place, very, very, very... Um, but you know if there's anything you've, if I've overlapped let me know I mean just don't be afraid to get in touch if you listen to this and there's anything that's pissed you off or you think oh stop going on about this anything you don't like let me know because at the minute I have no idea how this is playing I have a lot of people saying it's good and they're enjoying it but I'm, I've been talking for an hour I've been 57 minutes here I'm, I'm sure there's stuff in there that I've been talking about stuff that I've either talked about before or there's information i missed um, let me know what you, what you want to know like if you're a struggle, if you're a filmmaker out there who wants to make a feature film, or you don't know, or there's, there's some part of the process I haven't gone into that you feel like I should, get in touch. Or any any questions that you've got that, or if I've trailed off, if I started a point and trailed off, please get in touch. You know, tweet me at Ross Burks, um, email me rossburks at yahoo.com. Go check out my other stuff at rossburks.com. Um, Check out, I also do another podcast called Reloading the Canon with Michelle Arf in America where we, we talk about um, favourite films and try and select them for our own personal canon. That's at um, Reloading the Canon on SoundCloud. You can also find it on iTunes. Rate um, rate this on iTunes. You can now subscribe to me on iTunes. Rate it, subscribe, just so I know that people are listening. There's an audience because they're, um, I'm hoping there'll be an audience for my film, even if it's five people. That's cool. That's it. We're, 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 I think we're done for this week. So yeah, seven days from shooting. I'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening.